Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, I'll read beginning at verse 44 down through the end of the chapter. Luke 24 and verse 44. Now he said this to them. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. This morning we considered this most Amazing passage in the Gospel of Luke. In verses 50 through 53, Luke tells us of the ascension of our Lord Jesus from the town of Bethlehem as he returned back to his Father in heaven. And here we see a revelation of the heart of Jesus, his great love, his compassion to his disciples, even after he ascends, he arrives in heaven as he pronounces these great blessings upon them his arms outstretched as he ascends and he continues to announce his blessings upon them. An exhibition of the heart of Jesus Christ for us as his disciples. And this is what he desired us to see as he would leave us from this world. The last sight that Jesus desired for us to have It's the sight of him ascending with his arms outstretched toward us and blessings coming down from him. How he left us on earth is now how he continues in heaven at the right hand of God. This is the inclination, this is the disposition of the soul of Jesus to us who are his people here upon the earth to send his blessings down the blessings of the gospel down upon us. The ascension of Jesus involves his humanity, his physical body and his human soul, which he received in his incarnation in the womb of Mary. This is what the disciples looked upon as he was carried upward to heaven, his humanity. 
In his deity, he had always been God, and he will always be God. He could never lose any of his deity, and in his deity, he is present in every place at all times throughout the universe, the omnipresence of God. But in regard to his humanity, his humanity is localized. His humanity is only in one place at one time. And he, as a man, was at Bethany, and then he ascended into heaven in his humanity to the throne of God, and there his humanity was glorified forever. As John tells us in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. We do not know where he is, but his humanity is there in one place. The ascension regards his humanity. His ascension and his intercession in heaven is the great secret of our perseverance here on earth. The reason why we are not forsaken because of our many sins is because we have an advocate in heaven, even Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We saw this morning the heart of Jesus in blessing his disciples in this gospel as he declares them upon his people, and we see his heart towards sinful men even further displayed here as we look back to verses 20, 46 and 47. Verse 46, and he said to them that it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. These were the last words among the last words of our Lord Jesus Christ on earth. And this is what his heart was set upon as he was about to ascend into heaven. The welfare and the salvation of sinful men. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. This is what he desires, that his gospel would go to the ends of the earth, and that sinful men and women in every tribe and tongue and nation would hear his word and the news of salvation. They would turn from their sins, they would repent of their sins, they would come to Jesus as the Savior and be forgiven. The great blessing that he so freely gives. He would desire it to be for all the nations. And this is the way it has been ever since. As his gospel is preached throughout the world. He sends his church out as witnesses of this. Verse 48 and 49. He said, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He desires for men to come to repentance and for the forgiveness of their sins. But his desire is not just a nice wish. And his desire is not just an empty hope which depends upon men and what they will do with his message. His message will be backed with divine power, with almighty power by the Holy Spirit, 
And that's what he's saying in these verses. In verse 48, you are my witnesses and you will go into the world with my message. But you will not go alone. I will send the Holy Spirit and he will come upon you with power in the salvation and the conversion of men. He speaks here in verse 49 of the promise of my father, which refers to the promise of the father to him in the Old Testament scriptures that the father would give to him the Holy Spirit when he returned to heaven. And so this is what he fulfills on the day of Pentecost when he pours out the Holy Spirit on the church on that occasion. The father will give to Jesus the Holy Spirit And this is what Jesus says when the Father gives me the Holy Spirit in heaven. This is what I will do with the Holy Spirit. I will send him down for the salvation and the conversion of men throughout the world. So his great concern as he ascends is for the welfare, the eternal welfare and the salvation of sinners. This is one of the great reasons for the ascension of Jesus that he might receive the Holy Spirit and send down the Holy Spirit from heaven into all the world for the salvation of sinners. In John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He said, He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, And then John added, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And then John said, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It was a promise that could not yet be fulfilled because Christ was not glorified. But now he ascends and he is glorified and the promise of the Holy Spirit, the living waters for the souls of men can be given. To all the nations. We notice at the end of verse 47. He says he desires his gospel to be preached. Beginning from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city where he had just been crucified days before. The people of that city gathered before Pilate. And they cried out away with him. Crucify him. Crucify him. His blood be on us and our children. And we might think that now he is done with that city. That he will send his gospel to other places. But no he says my heart is so full and overflowing with blessings for sinners. Let the blessings of my cross Come first to those who sent me to the cross. And so he sends beginning in Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem to Samaria, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. His desire, as he prayed to his heavenly father, as they nailed him to the cross, will be fulfilled here. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And he will forgive so many of their sins on the day of Pentecost. This morning we saw two things from verses 50 and 51. We saw the majestic manner of Christ's ascension. And second, we saw the blessings of his ascension. And then third, tonight, we want to see the fruits of Christ's ascension.
the fruits of his ascension and his ascension blessings. So here we ask, what are the results? What are the effects of the ascension of Christ on his disciples? And we see them here in verses 52 and 53. Verse 52, And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Three things we want to see from these verses that are the fruits of his ascension, blessings, and they are fruits not just for those who were there as eyewitnesses on this occasion, but these are fruits for all believers for all time. These are really the fruits of salvation in every believer. There are three of them, joy, worship, and obedience. Joy, worship, and obedience. The first is, the first fruit of his ascension is great joy. We see this at the end of verse 52, where they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, or it could be translated with exceeding joy, with joy that was overflowing with abundant joy. But where did this joy come from? And how did they receive this joy? It is remarkable that we remember not many days before, at the Last Supper, they were so filled with sorrow over the news of the coming departure of Christ. Peter said to Jesus in his distress, Lord, where are you going? And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Jesus said, because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. So there was sorrow in their heart that night over his coming departure. And then we remember after his resurrection how the disciples were so filled with fear. They gathered together in that room like men huddled in hiding in secret with the door locked for fear of the Jews. They had seen the anger of their fellow Jews against their master. And the cruel violence of Pilate and the Roman soldiers in his crucifixion. They were afraid it would soon fall upon them. And they were so weak it seemed. And they were timid. So filled with fear and sorrow. They looked like and they felt like abandoned orphans in a hostile and angry world. But now we see here in this passage a most astonishing change takes place. Something happens to these disciples that we could have never imagined. Their sorrow and their fear is now suddenly turned into joy, into exceeding and great joy. They return to Jerusalem and now they continue with great exceeding joy. How do we account for this great change? The only answer is that in the ascension they came to see Jesus Christ for who he truly is. His ascension was the ultimate proof of his deity. It was the confirmation of everything that he had said to them. He had come down from heaven from God. He had come into this world to do everything needed for our salvation 
And now he ascends back up to the Father in this supernatural ascension. He is lifted into the sky and he returns to his heavenly Father. The proof that everything he said was true. We may say that it was the joy of Scripture fulfilled. We see this back in verses 44 and 45. Back in verse 44, now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, his disciples could not understand how he could be the Messiah and at the same time suffer and die upon that cross. But now, in verse 45, after he explains to them, that all of these things in the law had to be fulfilled. He opened their mind to understand the scripture, and so for the first time, they could now see, as verse 46 says, that it is written, the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. The scales that once were over their eyes fell. The veil was lifted. The darkness was turned into light. And for the first time, they saw things clearly that the Messiah had to come and be humbled and suffer for human sin. And only then could he be raised from the dead and enter into glory and into his, enter into glory by his ascension. At the end of verse 44, Jesus showed them That all things, he said, all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He divided the Old Testament here into these three sections. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And everything in those portions of scripture came to their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The law of Moses first, the law of Moses, all the ceremonial laws of the tabernacle and the priesthood. The priesthood, its sacrificial system, the temple, all of its ceremonial rituals, all of that came to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then there were the prophets. And we can think of Just a few prophecies, we can think of Isaiah the prophet, where he said that a virgin shall be with child, and a son will be born. A son will be born to us, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And then we hear of his sufferings in Isaiah 53, he will be despised and forsaken of men. He will be pierced through for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. He will be cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His sufferings are there in Isaiah 53. But then he will be raised to be a great king also in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 53 again, he will see his offspring 
He will prolong his days. He will divide the booty with the strong. And he will intercede for the transgression, transgressors. He will first be humbled. And then he will be raised and exalted. And Isaiah tells us that the government will rest upon his shoulders. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And the same kinds of things, the sufferings and the glory to follow are spoken of by all the Old Testament prophets in different ways. And then third, here we have the Psalms. Psalm 22, a psalm of suffering, beginning with the very words of Jesus from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then we have Psalm 2, a psalm of his exaltation. God said, as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. And then Psalm 110, the Lord will say to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I have made made thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. So in all of these things, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, all of them come to their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, that he must suffer and then enter his glory by this ascension. And so the disciples here, their minds were opened by the power of the Holy Spirit from Jesus Christ so that they suddenly began to see the meaning of the scriptures as never before. The Savior had to suffer, then he would enter his glory. We notice in verse 45, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scripture. He did not open their minds to understand something outside the scripture. He opened their minds to understand the truth already contained in the scripture. Jesus always pointed men to the scripture. Because everything that we need to know and everything we need for our joy, comfort, and salvation, it is all found in the scriptures. And so Jesus opened their mind to the scriptures. And this is why they had such joy as they watched him ascend and be carried back up into heaven because it was the confirmation that everything spoken in those Old Testament scriptures had now come to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and there was joy in the scriptures being fulfilled. It was not a self-made joy, which Luke speaks of here. This was a supernatural joy, a joy of the Holy Spirit as they saw the truth of scripture now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We remember the two men on the road to Emmaus. Just previous in this chapter in Luke's gospel. And the two men, they remember what happened on that road. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us? For what reason? As he opened 
as he was speaking to us on the road and he was explaining the scriptures to us. That's why their hearts were burning. Their hearts were burning with joy in that room as they remembered Christ opening their hearts to the scriptures. And now that joy that burned in their hearts is found in the hearts of all of his disciples as they have great joy because Christ has opened all of their minds now to understand the scriptures and they see the fulfillment of it in the ascension of Jesus back up into heaven. It was the joy of scripture being fulfilled. They saw the ascension now. For what it really was. It was not a departure which would leave them as helpless orphans, but it was a departure by which they would receive all power and grace to be his faithful disciples. Because he would ascend to the throne of heaven, he would be their advocate, their intercessor, their friend in the very presence of God. He would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and his ascension would be to their advantage and to their great gain, as they had said, as he had said. It would not be loss for them. It would be gain. It was an ascension of great triumph. The king of glory has conquered his enemies, sin and Satan and death, and now he ascends as our forerunner back into the presence of God. But then a second thing we can say about this joy is that it was a joy of great victory. A joy of great victory. We see this if we turn to the book of Romans, chapter 34. I mean, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8, and verse 34. We'll begin at verse 34. And Paul asks a question. He says, who is the one who condemns? And then he answers the question, Christ Jesus is he who died. By his death he has taken away our sins and we are justified and no one can ever condemn us in the presence of God. But not only is, has Christ died, but Paul continues in verse 34 and says, yes, rather who was raised who was raised from the dead. And then he continues, not only raised from the dead, but he has ascended now back into heaven, who is seated at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. And this is where Jesus Christ now is, by his ascension at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He is the one whom we are united to by faith. He has gone from the tomb to the throne. He has ascended to the right hand of God. And there he is interceding for us with powerful, effectual prayers for everything, for our salvation. And because of his ascension, because of his ascension and his intercession, Paul now can proceed with the following arguments in the rest of the chapter. He begins in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
If the one whom we are united to is at the right hand of God, interceding for us, then who can ever separate us from the love of Christ? We have known his love, but we can never be separated from it. The rest of verse 35, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, he goes down through this list and none of these things, there is nothing that can ever come upon us that will ever separate us from the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he makes this most amazing statement down in verse 37. He says, but in all these things, he's referring to our sufferings and tribulations of the previous verses. He says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. In other words, this is glorious victory that belongs to us as Christians. There is no power of Satan, no power of sin or death that can ever overcome us. We are overwhelmingly conquerors. Super abounding conquerors is what it means. Through Christ who loved us. If he has ascended, if he has ascended and we are united to him, and he has this glorious victory and triumph of ascension back into heaven and we are united to him, then his victory is our victory. And we are overwhelming conquerors through him who has loved us. And this was the joy of Jesus' disciples when they saw him ascend from Bethany that day. All the powers that would ever come against them could never touch them because their Savior had now ascended into heaven to the right hand of God. It was triumph, it was an ascension of great victory, and the same thing is true for us as well. As the scriptures are open to us by the Holy Spirit, and we gain a glimpse of the glory that belongs to Jesus, and we who believe in him can see victory in him, and we can have great joy because no matter what comes against us, by his ascension and his intercession in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So the disciples looked into the sky. They saw the cloud descend and take him up through the heavens. And as they watched the cloud ascend with the great Savior on it into the heavens being taken out of their sight, they could see the fulfillment of Daniel's vision. I kept looking in the night visions, he said, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And so we may see Jesus tonight as well in the same way, ascending into his glorious kingdom that is throughout all the earth, and it should bring us great joy. The first fruit of the ascension was great joy. 
The second fruit of ascension, more briefly now, was worship. And we see this in the beginning of verse 52. The beginning of verse 52, we're turning back now to the Gospel of Luke, back to Luke's Gospel and verse and chapter 24. And in the beginning of verse 52, we read, And they, now once again, if you have the original New American Standard Bible, the 1977 version of it, you see in the footnote, and they, footnote, worshipped him. Now, if you have almost any other Bible, those words, worshipped him, are in the verse, and they should be in the verse, and that's the way I'll read it. And they worshipped him, is what it says. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Which seems to mean in verse 52 that they worshipped him there at Bethany as he ascended back up into heaven. This was their spontaneous response of worship as they watched him ascend. But then this worship of him continued in verse 53 as they returned to Jerusalem where we read, and they were continually in the temple praising God. Continually in the temple blessing and praising God in worship, they had come to know who Jesus really is as the glorious Son of God for their salvation. And whatever doubts they once had, those doubts were gone. However dim and indistinct their view of him had been previously, now they saw things clearly. They understood who he was, who he is, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among them, And his ascension into heaven was the final proof of everything that he had said. And so the only right response for them here now is to give worship and honor and praise to him. Thanksgiving was given to him. They trusted in him. They exalted him. They ascribed glory and honor to God the Father and to his beloved Son. Worship means that we humble ourselves in the presence of God. Worship means that we understand, we acknowledge that he is infinitely above us in power and wisdom and holiness and majesty and glory. He is not like us. He is exalted far above us. There is no one like him and we must bow in his presence with reverence for him. We join the angels in heaven who worship him and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. Verse 52, they worshiped him. Verse 53, they continually were in the temple praising God. We notice the place where they worshiped him. In verse 53, in the temple. Because the temple was the place of his promised presence. This is the promise of God throughout all the Old Testament scriptures and into the New Testament as well. The temple was the place where he would meet with his people and there he would come and reveal himself and walk among them. This is corporate now worship. This is gathered worship in the temple. 
And this continued in the book of Acts in the early chapters of the early church. And the temple would eventually be replaced by the church, which is God's temple now in the New Testament. The blessings that they had heard from him as he ascended back up into heaven. Those blessings that they had heard from him. They desired more of those blessings to come down upon them. They wanted more of his blessings. Where could they find more of those blessings? In the temple. In the temple. In the place where God meets in a special presence with his people. They did not return each to their own homes. As they had done after the crucifixion. It says they were continually in the temple gathered together for this worship. Now when it says that they were continually in the temple. It does not mean that they never left the temple. But it does mean that this worship was the highest priority in their life. To be in the place of God's special presence and his worship. There was nothing more that they desired than to be in the place where they would meet with Jesus again. He had been taken from them physically, but they could now meet with him spiritually in the temple. They could not see him in body, but they could have his presence with them there. And Jesus had promised where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so that's why they were continually in the temple praising God. Now what they were doing here was nothing new. But what they were doing here was really the fulfillment and the following the example that we find so many times in the book of Psalms. And I'm going to turn briefly and look at three passages. The first is found in Psalm 27. Psalm number 27. And verse 4. And David says, in verse 4, he says, One thing, one thing I have asked from the Lord. There is only one thing I desire above everything else. Of all the things that I might ask, this is the one thing that I have asked from the Lord. Whatever else he gives me, this is what I desire most above everything else. One thing. One thing, he says, I have asked from the Lord. And not only have I asked it, but I shall seek it. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So this was the priority and the highest desire of David's life. We'll turn back to Psalm 26. Psalm 26 and verse 8. And he says in verse 8, O Lord, I love the habitation of thy house 
and the place where thy glory dwells. The habitation, the place where God dwells, and in that place he displays his glory to his people. That's what takes place in the house of God. We'll turn to one more passage in the book of Psalms, Psalm 84. Psalm 84. And verse 4. And the psalmist says here, How blessed are those who dwell in thy house. They are ever praising thee. And then down in verse 10, he says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather be there than any other place. And so, back in Luke chapter 24, this is what was taking place with these disciples as they were, in verse 53, continually in the temple praising God. And all the things that the Psalms speak of, the beauty of the Lord, the glory of the Lord and the blessings that come upon those who gather in his house. Those things now came to a much higher fulfillment and a much deeper meaning to them as they knew the Savior in Jesus Christ. What beauty, what glory, what blessing came upon them as they were continually praising God in the temple. So we've seen the first two fruits of his ascension. Joy and worship. And the third fruit of his ascension is obedience. And we see this if we look back to the second half of verse 49. Where Jesus says, Jesus commands them there that you are to stay in the city, the city of Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. That was his command. And then we see his obedience down in verse 52, where they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Obedience is always central in the life of every believer. It is always most important that we walk in the ways of the Lord Jesus that we live by his commandments, by his wisdom, by his truth, and in so doing, by our obedience, what do we show? We show our true love for Jesus Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says. By our obedience, we please him, and his smile is upon us. These three fruits of his ascension, joy, worship, and obedience, They are always together in the Christian life. One leads to the other. They can never be separated. That's what we see here. It was when they obeyed Jesus and they returned to Jerusalem in verse 52 that they had great joy and their joyful worship continued. Some try to have joy and worship without the obedience. It can never be. 
because our disobedience grieves the Holy Spirit and our sin disrupts our fellowship with God. Our disobedience, whatever it might be, it unsettles our peace and the comfort of our souls and it brings a darkness, a cloud of darkness over us. And when this happens, we cannot have the joy of the Holy Spirit and we cannot worship as we should. We are distant from God and that sense of separation must be restored. We must be restored into fellowship. We must repent of our disobedience, whatever it might be. We must return to the Lord. We must find mercy and cleansing. We must cry with David, restore me, restore me to the joy of my salvation that I may worship once again. So if we would know the presence of Jesus and true joy and worship in the church, then it is the responsibility of the members of the church to all walk in obedience. It is not that some of us must walk in obedience and others can walk in their own ways, but every member of the church to have the ungrieved Holy Spirit present in the worship of the church, we must walk in the ways of obedience. This is really what Jesus taught in the upper room in John chapter 14. He said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then he said this, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and disclose myself to him. So we obey and he loves and discloses He said the same thing in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So our our obedience is the pathway by which he sends his presence and his blessings upon us. We've been in this series of sermons in which we've been focused so much on the love, the affection, the compassion of Christ as he is exalted into heaven. We've seen so much evidence of it in the upper room discourse and all the promises of Christ. We've seen it in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. We've seen it in his words to his brethren, the peace that he announces to them. And then we see it here in these great blessings that he announces as he ascends back into heaven. We've seen all of this evidence of the continuing love of Christ for us as his disciples from heaven. And it is all true, and it is all most wonderful to us. But at the same time, we must remember the letters of the exalted Jesus to his churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Because in those letters, the Christ who is on the throne of heaven He does does express his great concern over the obedience and the holiness of his churches. And he sometimes speaks with the strongest rebukes. And he warns the churches that if they do not turn back from ways of disobedience, he will bring his judgments upon them and he will even take their lampstands away. We would not wish to provoke the Lord in any of these things. 
So as we continue to look at the love of Jesus, that infinite love and compassion and patience and kindness that he has to us, all of that is true. We must have a view of Christ in heaven that also embraces his letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. So here is the question, how do we reconcile these things? They are both true. How do we bring them together in our thinking? The answer is this, that the heart of Christ is very full, infinitely full of love, compassion, and kindness to us. And his love is so great to us that he would desire us to know more and more of it, and he would desire to continually send his blessings down upon us. But he will do so. He will do so only as we walk in the ways of obedience to him. We must walk in the light as he himself is in the light, and then his face will shine upon us, and we will receive more revelations of his love and his kindness and his grace to us. We have seen the great blessings of Jesus as he ascended into heaven this morning. We ask the question, how can we keep ourselves under a fresh and living sense of all of his blessings upon us? The answer is, by continuing to walk in the ways that are pleasing to him. May he help us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God tonight. Thank you for the glorious truths that are spoken of here in these passages. And Lord, we pray you would bless your word to each one of us, that your gospel, your truth would be light upon our souls, and that we would have great joy to be your people, and we would worship you in that way. Lord Jesus, hear us now. Bless your word to every soul. And for those who are without the Savior, may they come to find him tonight as the great and wonderful Savior of sinners. We pray now these things in Jesus' name. Amen.